You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 93 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, I'm talking to artist and author Max Magnus Norman that has written a book currently only in Swedish, unfortunately, called Magnum Opus, which is a manual on how to reach spiritual and physical enlightenment, layered with self-biographical anecdotes. So thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks yourself. It's a privilege, I think. Could you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, who I am? Uh, I am uh, Max Magnus Norman. I'm an, a Swedish artist and uh, I've written a book about how I achieved the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, my name can sound really alchemical, but uh, it's a rather common name in Sweden and it's not a taken name, it's my given name. So that's uh, the short story about me. And you did, um, when I did some research before I had you on this podcast, you did a, a very controversial uh, sculpture uh, somewhere in Sweden, I don't know where, but can you tell a bit about that? Because it was quite funny, I thought. <laughs> Yeah, so it, that was a few years ago. It was uh, this uh, famous uh, Swedish athlete, uh, Frank Andersson, a wrestler who was uh, participating in, uh, were participating in the Olympic Games during the 80s somewhere. Uh, was it in the States, I think? And uh, one day he disappeared and... Uh, uh, the journalists uh, were curious about where he had been and uh, there's this famous quotation from him that uh, he said to the journalist when he reappeared a few days later and that was uh, hard to translate but it's kind of like the dick needs its share or something like that and uh, a few years later, I made a sculpture from this uh, uh, rather comical piece to illustrate uh, unbound uh, male sexuality. And uh, that sculpture made some outcry here in Sweden. So, so that's part of my history. <laughs> yeah, because uh, it would be difficult for a woman to say the same thing. It would... Uh... Be, I mean, um, to the public or in the media, it would look sound weird. I mean, women don't normally say that kind of phrase, even though they could. <laughs> they could, they could. I think some probably have done it, but uh, it's uh, it's more of a this uh, power, male power speak, so to say, which is kind of rather negative actually in, in many ways and, and my sculpture is illustrating this because it's a this huge uh, phallus like monster who chases a girl and a boy uh, like in 
something from the alien movie kind of thing. And, and uh, the fact is, the alien monster is kind of phallic also. So it's, uh, I think it's kind of similar themes, actually. So you've written an alchemy book. Uh, how did this come about? And uh, can you tell a bit about it? Because it's only in your native language, as far as I can understand so far. Yeah, uh, a third of the book has been translated into English, but uh, that's... Uh, the first part of it and, and that's that's not so, so much about alchemy but mostly about preparations for the process described and uh, if there will be a further translation that's in the future i don't know actually uh, the book describes uh, my personal journey in which i kind of stumble into alchemy I, I wasn't at all aware of what I was actually doing when I started this process and uh, the thing uh, when I started it it's, I was experimenting with uh, hallucinogenics I had just started doing this 10 or 15 years ago perhaps and I had several reasons to do this and none of them was recreational but it was a curiosity and uh, a way to find some healing for not myself but for a close friend of mine and uh, but it all started with the way I created my art uh, my more comical sculptures are kind of a sidetrack to my normal uh, creativity uh, what I used to do at that time was that I painted uh, visions I saw in different states uh, I didn't use drugs at that time to get these visions but there were images I saw uh, right before I fell asleep or in meditative states and uh, um, I was curious about these images because they were really telling me something and painting up a kind of path for me to follow but I I've had this feeling that this path went around in circles so I wanted to find out what was behind these visions uh, I, I had had some experiences in my youth uh, where I had uh, had kind of like a Kundalini experience and I had some feverish dreams and uh, also a poisoning where when I experienced that the world around me was dissolved and I could see right through walls and stuff like that during a short uh, moment when I lacked oxygen in a cellar. And uh, based on such glimpses of another reality I I saw that as some kind of half evidence for the world being much more than it seems at the first glance and uh, I, my visionary paintings was a part of this uh, what to call it this uh, uh, insight that that all isn't what it seems and uh, 
I had this uh, this uh, notion that uh, in the psychedelic drugs like cactuses and mushrooms used in a shamanistic manner, uh, I would find answers to, to where my visions came from and, and uh, my connection to this uh, backside of the or backstage of the reality, so to speak. And uh, and uh, it took some time before I started uh, my experiments. And uh, what happened was that I was out uh, running in the forest and uh, came into a clearing where there was some uh, some uh, mushrooms growing, which I recognize from my studies. Uh, there were these uh, what's they called uh, liberty caps, I think in English, yes. Uh, and I picked them and there was exactly one kind of mild dose of, of uh, usable hallucinogenic mushrooms. And that started my journey. So in the beginning I, I was uh, describing this for myself as I was doing some kind of shamanistic uh, experiments. Uh, and uh, it wasn't until far far later that I, I did this alchemical connection with this but that's uh, we can take that further ahead uh, the thing is that I had a really close uh, and dear friend of mine who I was risking losing because uh, she had uh, she was suffering from multiple personality disorder and uh, when I had uh, uh, when I was doing these experiments with these mushrooms, I realized that uh, this multiple personality disorder is something that uh, everyone, every grown-up grown up human being is suffering from in some degree, to some extent or other. And... Uh, I was realizing that uh, I myself had this kind of different personality as I was jumping between. And uh, pretty early in this process, I realized a method to merge these personalities, not to kill them or destroy them, but to to merge uh, these uh, sub-personalities into more and more unity. And I can make a short attempt to describe this uh, multiple personalities disorder uh, and why what I mean with that all people suffer from it in in some extent and that is uh, if you have some friend or if you know yourself for instance that you change personality if you get drunk for instance you turn into a completely different person if you get intoxicated or if you are or know someone who is uh, having a bipolar disorder then that is examples of of, uh, of uh, multiple personalities because if you ask this person who have this bipolar uh, thing you ask this person uh, about a common memory, for instance, when this person is in this upstate, 
And you ask the same question about the same memory when this person is in the down state. You, you will get two different stories, two different descriptions of this memory. And that's because there really are two different personalities who describe this, this uh, occasion. And uh, the reason for this uh, splitting of the ego, the, that person, uh, that uh, human has uh, lots of different personalities, is uh, something that happens often quite early in the childhood in, and it's uh, caused by traumatizations, traumas. And uh, uh, a trauma is kind of like when you experience something, a situation where, where your uh, uh, emotions or uh, feel, feelings and emotions goes over a certain limit and it's like a safety goes off in the head of this person experience it and uh, in this moment there is a mechanism in the brain that causes the ego to split into two different threads so to speak and th this is very complicated and uh, I will try to explain it as easy as possible but uh, we, we can see it like we have this memory track like a cassette tape recording our experiences and when this trauma happens some mechanism splits this track into two new tracks uh, it, it's the old track which contains uh, not uh, does not contain the memories of the event, the cause of the traumatization, and a new track which contains memories of the trauma. And uh, what happens is that uh, this is kind of like a backup system in the brain, and it's because of this mostly child who experience something horrible. It can be uh, like losing their parents on the mall or it can be uh, some abuse or anything which causes this trauma. But if this trauma, if the experiences from this trauma would be handicapping, so, so this child wouldn't be able to cope with the life afterwards, there is this backup memory thread uh, where the trauma is very dampened and, and uh, not present. But there is also this thread in the subconsciousness where this trauma is remembered in case these experiences would be useful in the future. And uh, our egos, our personality, is a consequence of uh, our experiences and our memories. So this uh, thing causes two different egos. The ego with the experiences of the trauma and the old ego without the experience of the trauma. And that's the reason why people have different multiple personalities. And for some people, like my friend I mentioned in the beginning, this is 
Vad är handicapping? The the thing is which which happens for an adult person that is when you experience something that associates reminds you of this trauma. Uh, you will uh, your consciousness will slide over to this memory track where this experiences of the trauma is stored, and you will kind of shift personality. And that is what happen to, happens to bipolar persons and that's what happens to people who are uh, changing personality when they're getting drunk and such things. They are reminded of something they experienced in a trauma and they slide over to the ego which is a consequence of the trauma. Well, I only have the opinion or theory that also multiple personality problems is only a problem in our society because many indigenous cultures the person who has this problem becomes the medicine man the shaman absolutely i understand that uh, and the, but the thing is uh, i i saw it when i started this thing i, I saw it as a problem uh, and uh, the path to into alchemy is very much about uh, merging these personalities in yourself. That, that's a starting uh, point to, to realize that you are a split up personality and and to find a, a way to unify yourself. That I realized was the first step. And I think that actually this this uh, splitting of the of personalities from traumas and stuff is also some kind of uh, thing that perhaps creates more spirits and stuff like that which can be useful for just shamans and people like that it's not uh, impossible i think but uh, the thing is uh, when i started experimenting with uh, psychedelics and stuff i found out quite fast how how I could uh, I created something I called a ritual which was uh, as kind of purposeful uh, way of using this uh, hallucinogenics to to dive into find locate traumatic events and get some kind of uh, closure regarding these events And when you go into these memories in this very vivid way which uh, psychedelics uh, uh, makes it able to do, you can kind of come to terms with the things that happen and, and realize what this event meant for you, what, what it caused. And if you do this correctly, this subpersonality which can be rather hidden actually in severe cases this personality is actually uh, really act as as different personalities you can meet in your dreams and talk to and hear as voices in your head and stuff like that and and uh, but if you find their source this trauma which caused them you can weave them back into yourself. And, and these this, uh, personalities can be really, really realistic. They can, and they can be kind of 
evil in the nature also so it's really hard to to come to peace with some of this uh, this uh, entities and because uh, but the thing is if you need if you should do this process this alchemical process you really need to make peace with them and, and kind of uh, you need their powers because they are you and and you can't really kill your inner demons or something like that you really need to to make peace with them through this process and that's a really really hard thing for for many people to do and and i was very lucky because i didn't really have any of this real evil presence or voices and stuff like that but uh, rather uh, similar characters which were quite easy to to merge into one but my my friend which i was experimenting on myself mostly in order to help i was believing at that time uh, she had this much more severe cases which uh, which were uh, much more frightening and, and then hard to to come to terms with so uh, it's not a easy task also from my experience it's very difficult i mean the easiest thing is to heal yourself it's very difficult to heal somebody else yeah it's impossible they have to come to that stage themselves uh, that was a thing i realized quite soon actually and and this uh, my own experiments led to uh, that uh, me and this person uh, drifted away from each other she didn't uh, recognize the person who I was and felt kind of like forced to, to make this uh, ritual thing in order to stay up with me and uh, uh, she was very afraid of which one of her personalities who would be the dominating one when she got out on the other side. And uh, so, so she never, never dared to do these things and felt forced also because of uh, my progress in this. So, so that led to our uh, split up. Yeah, that's another thing. It's, uh, it's almost like an unwritten law where you, you can't force anyone to do psychedelics or it's suggestive and they'll it's better if they you know people should come and ask to buy it but it should not be sold <laughs> exactly and I, I didn't force uh, her either but she, she felt forced because uh, she saw the changes in me and saw that this thing i believed myself had discovered really really worked i, I got healthier both both physically and, and mentally and and changed and she really didn't reckon me uh, I turned into someone she didn't really know afterwards and it frightened her and she felt felt this pressure and, and that was too much just to, to see the effects when she wasn't prepared herself but, but this led you to write this book? Uh, this was far later I, I wrote the book and the thing is, uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, was, I was 
I had found a method which uh, made me healthier, and uh, I was actually dying myself at this time from different uh, issues I had. I, I had this gluten intolerance which had kind of burned out my intestines, so I couldn't uh, process uh, sugar correctly, and every day I had this... Uh, kind of near-death experiences uh, when my blood sugar, sugar dived and I didn't feel hunger but I, I felt more like uh, the body was uh, switching off and I was dying and and uh, I don't know how close to really dying I was, was but it was so painful and so uh, such a hard thing so I really wished myself that I should would just die every single day at a time when I started this and I didn't even if I realized this I didn't realize how bad how ill I really was and as I said I started this process mainly to help this other person not myself so this process also made me realize that this was mostly for my own benefit from the beginning to save my own life actually and just to heal and become stronger than, than I ever been before that was a very uh, that was very fast a fast process so so uh, I think that was kind of frightening and fascinating for my friends and those relatives around me because they saw that I changed almost from one day to another from a uh, really melancholic, depressed person which was rather overweight and uh, which had started to lose all my hair and uh, just a half year later when I was slim and strong and the, my hair started to grow back and and uh, I was much more happier and, and uh, I, it was obvious that I was doing something which had really a big uh, implication on my physics and mentality. So, so I changed it very fast during this time. And, uh, but I didn't actually know what I was doing. I was just experimenting with, with these mushrooms and stuff like that. And it worked very, very effectively. And isn't it funny that uh, the, the government wouldn't approve of you picking those things up from the forest where you were walking? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, weird. But on, on the other hand, they could be used in a very destructive manner also. I, I know I have been very, very lucky to to manage to go through this process more or less unharmed because there are several pitfalls to, to you can fall into during this process. Uh, so, so it's nothing to take lightly. And the I, I'm skeptic about making these things illegal but uh, on the other hand there's you, people could really abuse these things and, and uh, mess them up themselves up pretty badly and, and one thing I ran into when I found some 
tougher traumas I had experienced in my childhood was that uh, memories are often kind of uh, cloudy. The, the subconscious tries to obscure horrible memories by telling you tales. And when I was approaching this trauma for the first time, I was almost certain that this was something that has uh, had something with aliens and UFOs to, to do. That I had been kidnapped by aliens and stuff like that. But the further in I I realized that this wasn't the truth, that this was some kind of fairy tale that my subconscious is serving me instead of the real memories. Uh, the subconscious is create is turning real people from my childhood into aliens in order or small gnomes or something like that in order to tell a lighter story that I could easily more easily accepting that my friends had been really, really bad to me. And this is something I come across when I led, uh, when I've guided other people in this process also. And that is that really horrible memories almost always is turned into these stories with these little grayish gnomes. But if you realize that I haven't experienced things, these little gnomes or UFO men or something like that. There's something else behind this. Uh, then you can push through this memory and find the real memory behind it. That uh, these gnomes are, could be very close uh, relatives uh, that you trusted, that you want to admit to yourself did these nasty things to you and this is something in my experience that uh, uh, is very universal for for the, the human subconsciousness to 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 create these fables of, of uh, these small aliens or stuff like that instead of the real memories so if you give up or if you really believe that you have experienced this UFO or this uh, gnome abduction or something like that, instead of going pushing through this illusion, then this UFO memory can turn out as a real memory and shape your ego after it. And I've seen people who have done this and messed themselves up quite extraordinary believing to have been, been abducted and stuff like that and uh, that's one of the big risks with this process to, to learn to separate elusive memories from real memories and, and uh, in order to, to heal yourself mentally also I think it's I've, I've had many cases where um, people I know who know about these things uh, but when they actually come to the moment of eating it or drinking it, uh, whatever type of psychedelic it is they uh, you can see them trembling and they say no, no I, I don't want to do this so I also think that it's 
the risk of it being abused could happen. Everything can be abused, but it's also, uh, for most people, I think it would be to, I mean, ignorance is bliss in this way. It's much easier to continue life as it is than to uh, step on a train that's going to change everything and maybe force you to quit your job uh divorce your wife or what anything can happen you know when you realize what you need to do to be, be- feel happier exactly so, so it's uh, it's not a process you should take lightly because uh, that's exactly the things that will happen if you really go through this to the far side so to speak uh, you you will have to change your values and your uh, you will probably not be able to stay in your current life you have to change things around you that's uh, and that's something that uh, probably this society really can't cope well with so that's one of the risks yes and and not to mention the, the most obvious thing, and, and that is, uh, if you go through this, you you must be prepared to face your worst fears. And uh, with worst fears, that's like easy to say that oh, I'm not afraid uh, afraid of anything. I can just throw myself into this uh, like a roller coaster, and it will be all right. But then you really haven't. Uh, met your worst fears that's like what you've seen in nightmares and stuff like that is nothing compared to really re-experiencing some of the stuff you don't consciously remember from your childhood and later on yeah i had that myself i had done several ceremonies and i started feeling quite confident and every every ceremony was great i mean some of them were difficult but still you know very manageable and i started thinking like oh there's nothing to fear about this Um, and then after i said that i had the worst most horrible one i've ever had and i during the ceremony i almost i considered that oh i've ruined my life but then eventually as they as they always do they always have some sort of uh, plot twist or it always works out in the end somehow. So it, it was the greatest ceremony at the end of it, but there, in the middle of it, in the middle of the storm, I just thought, oh, the, I screwed up. But so ever since then, I've always had, uh, you know, respect. It, it's funny how, how that twist always, when there are these awful experience this twist is always in the last seconds you know that this won't this uh, psychedelic won't last more than 10 20 minutes more in my experience and or, or everything is lost i'm insane uh, i can't get this together again and then always in the last moments it's it, this relief of turning comes up in uh, i think you know what i'm talking about there yeah, and I also think that it can also be if you like already planned to do three ceremonies, for instance, 
it doesn't necessarily have to come in the first two. It, it then it comes at in the last, like like the mind or the substance knows that you will do it again tomorrow. So it's it's like a, a TV series. It's like three episodes and with an ending. <laughs> There, there's always this feeling of a narrative, which is really amazing. Actually, that's that's uh, it's like you experience things uh, afterwards in some way that this is already done when you start it that's my my experience of it that's many times it's like when i experience this uh, psychedelic events and stuff like that it's like they have already happened this is already done and it goes along a read a uh, finished script some in some way and that's uh, that's amazing i think have you ever done any like uh, normal therapy so you can compare uh, the psychedelic therapy with with uh, i haven't got any personal experience from so to speak normal therapy but this friend of mine went to therapy for like 10 15 years and, and uh, she shared a lot of her knowledge and, and uh, experiences with me so, so i had this uh, second hand view of, of uh, modern psychiatry and their dealings so but i have no experience myself from either uh, the drugs they are using or the therapy they are having or such, such things so I really went into this kind of carte blanche so to speak you mentioned something you know about this uh, a lot of things happened in in the Canary Islands w- what was that uh, after I had gone through this uh, alchemical part of, of my process uh, I came to this point where I had to leave my old life I got rid of all my belongings and and, uh, packed uh, the things I needed in a suitcase and and, uh, traveled to the Canary Islands to Gran Canaria and uh, there I had some really weird experiences Uh, I found places I reckon from my uh, previous uh, rituals a place I had seen uh, that I believed was either some past life memories or or uh, some kind of just uh, stories told for me but when I came to these uh, places in the in Gran Canaria uh, there is this uh, sacrificial altar in the in one one of the mountains there Uh, I saw that this was the place I had uh, seen in my vision and uh, that I had some, in some way uh, got some memories from this place and I found some, even some uh, small stuff around there from from this experience. So, yeah, there was a lot of things happening there in the Canary Islands, but... but, uh, the events there was actually after this uh, those more major stuff that I wrote about in my book. 
So people who don't, you know, it's not in English, only like you said, the first chapter. Do you plan to translate it all into English? Uh, yes, uh, I'm not... Uh, uh, it would be really nice if someone would like to translate the book. Uh, and there has been been some people who have been interested in and but they hadn't got the financial means to to publish the book and and translate it so so it ended up with just the first part of it being translated and it uh, got some quite good criticism on uh, Amazon I think so if someone listens to this and and, is, uh, in, and are interested then they Swedish version of the book can be downloaded on my site and uh, you can make some kind of translation with Google Translate to get a picture of what it's all about but uh, of course it will be quite messed up because Google Translate isn't really good at translating Swedish to English. In most languages it's good at like showing you kind of what it says but you know any form of like beauty in the writing is completely lost. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some things are really turned upside down too. So it's uh, not without risk. I don't recommend anyone to try these things I write about based on Google Translate. That could be really messy. But you also have your paintings on your website, so and that requires no language. Yeah. Uh, those are uh, more the artistic view of things I've been going through, yes. And I think uh, looking at them, uh, they're quite diverse from like, uh, uh, you know, uh, pattern, just uh, geometrical pattern kind of, or uh, sim- symbols to like uh, normal paintings and then to... Not not for me, but I guess for some people it would be almost uh, uh, offensive. Uh, after I managed to to go through this alchemical process, to succeed in that is is a knockout. It it's, uh, blows you off your feet, and it takes a few months perhaps years to to find your way back into the real world again afterwards and that's pretty obvious in my paintings that before this process I I painted rather consistent Uh, there was this uh, visionary really uh, classic paintings and then I started to this process and during the height just before I, I achieved the, what's called the philosopher's stone I uh, made this really hyper realistic paintings which kind of reflected my mind at that time also and uh, the then afterwards the thing that happened is, is that the, the truth behind art is that it's almost always some kind of psychotherapy. You paint because you need to uh, 
you paint as therapy. And when I had gone through this, I really didn't need this therapy part of my art. So I lost my visions. And uh, I still felt that I really wanted to be creative in some manners. And I used my new abilities, which the, the alchemic part gave me, my new really tuned in vision, my my ability to concentrate on, on small details and go into subjects really, really deep. I used these ones to, to kind of force myself to, to be creative and that resulted in this really hyper-realistic small paintings. But uh, that only lasted for a while because I got tired of it actually. And then uh, I started to experiment with different me mediums and different uh, ways to express myself, to find a new meaningful way of uh, making, telling stories, because that's uh, what I came back to. The, the meaning of making paintings is for me now to 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 make tell stories uh, in short and it took a while to, to get back to that, that and I had to repeat uh, styles from my childhood and my adolescence and, and uh, go through everything I had learned in art again so, so the last years or my art, which can be seen on my site, is uh, very much about searching a way back again from this knockout, which this process kind of culminated in, not ended, but culminated in. Yeah, I can relate to that. I used to paint a bit many, many years ago when I was a teenager, and I was suffering from heavy anxiety at the time, so I painted this. And uh, since then, I, I have don't suffer from any of these things anymore. But I uh, still have those paintings, and I like them because they don't make me depressed looking at them. Because the depression has been captured in the painting, and it's not in me. But my girlfriend, uh, she don't like looking at it because it almost uh, you know women sometimes can be. I guess, or she anyway, not all women, but she is very sensitive. So when she looks at it, she almost feels like she wants to cry. But I look at it and I, I'm happy looking at it. So yeah, it's true that it's some sort of psychotherapy. Yeah, that, that's uh, uh, currently I try to rebuild my life uh, more into this physical world after all these things that have happened. And, and I. And the art is uh, still a part of it, but uh, the thing is, uh, it's really hard to, to have lived. Uh, I'm uh, 43 years old now, and and I have lived as an artist as my occupation for 20 years or so. And then this was just pulled away from me in, in some aspects. So it was... A really messy time afterwards to, to cope with. But uh, on the other hand, uh, I, gained, uh, I gained my life. That was the price of it. 
it was what we said before that uh, it can uh, like if you have a job it can destroy the job you know if you're not if you're doing something maybe uh, that you don't like to do maybe and you don't want to quit because it's it's comforting but then if you have these rituals then you realize oh i have to quit and that can be quite scary it is a it's a risk now to to sound too negative about this because uh, uh, it's uh, nothing negative in the long run. It's uh, it's just some temporary issues you have to face when you go through this. Yeah, so it's it's a long term benefit. Exactly. In the the baseline of everything is uh, some kind of happiness but it takes time for this happiness to to find it pla- its place in the ordinary life because uh, all this is as i said a really uh, tough knockout for you you're beaten out of everything you were before into a new form and you it takes time to get used to this new form long time so so it's nothing that you go into this process and, and get out and know exactly what you you have this shining light in your head and, and everything is clear in one aspect but on the other hand it's a you you are not used to or accustomed to it and it takes you're kind of born again and you're kind of stupid in many ways like you're a small child you had to re-experience many things in order to cope with life after this process has uh, like friends and family or people close to you uh, done the same things you have or are you like alone in your cir- circle with this uh, there are some of my friends who, who are into their own processes and they go different paths and uh, they they uh, that's a really hard question because they are really into their own uh, thing. There are not many of them that should would dare to to do these step steps, uh, but some of them have, and uh, it's it's a different path for everyone. I think. When you say like create the philosopher's stone, there's many. I mean, there's so many different views on what that is. How would you define it? Well, that's the probably for your listeners the interesting part of my story, because when I went into this, uh, I had no idea that I was dabbling with alchemy, and uh, I realized this actually one or two steps before I really uh, achieved the stone. Uh, And the thing is, I suspect now in hindsight that uh, I had these instructions kind of packed down into my being in some way. That I had this from my birth, from some earlier existence or, or something like that. I know it quite well how it worked but it's uh, such a long and weird story that part so I can leave it for now but uh, I realized I was doing alchemy 
when I, by a coincidence, uh, saw a illumination from the Splendor Solis, and uh, it was the third illumination, I think, uh, where this uh, knight stand and have this breastplate with the colors of the great work on his chest. Uh, there are the colors uh, black, white, uh, yellow, and red. And uh, then I realized that, hey, that's the sequence I have been messing around with in this system I've been working with. So I realized that this is something I recognize. And uh, then I realized that it's what I was doing, people had done before me. So I started to read a bit more about it, and, and especially in the Splendor Solis, I recognize uh, imagery from my own experiences. And uh, this color code uh, was something that uh, was very apparent, and and, and uh, I had this experience when, when uh, there was a before and after regarding this psychedelic patterns you can see during hallucinogenic uh, influence. And uh, before this, these patterns were like chaotic fractals, beautiful patterns you can just dive into and, and uh, there was not much more about them but after this particular experience these patterns turn into a language a language of colors and uh, like mosaic patterns you can change and, and reprogram stuff you can reprogram yourself and the reality around you and, and uh, from the beginning I had it started with with that I saw these patterns and I recognize I've been here before. This is a room I'm acquainted with. And I know these patterns. I know instinctively how they work. And that was a big realization one day for me. And that uh, was the start of this uh, uh, alchemical part of the whole process. So you kind of went the, the opposite of of what I did, where I s- discovered alchemy and I was studying alchemy, and which led me to the psychedelics. Whereas you started with the psychedelics, which led you to the alchemy. Yeah, exactly. I had no experience at all from from alchemy before. This was like Harry Potter and uh, Full Metal Alchemist, and uh, perhaps uh, some Smurfs uh, from when I was a child. It was on that level before. I had no experience at all from from it, and and uh, then it all just uh, fell into place. And I realized that I've been using this ancient system for uh, well over a year, and and didn't know that it was alchemy I was doing actually. But but how? What would you say? You know, is the stone because some alchemists who are only in the material world they say the stone is a thing that can make anything into gold some people say it's the mind some people say it's 
something else? Uh, in... uh, I would describe it as uh, as a kind of enlightenment. Uh, it's uh, it's very apparent the, the images in many alchemical scripts are, I suspect, not in in a way symbolical. Uh, as uh, some parts of Splendor Solis, for instance, I think the one who wrote it tried not to obfuscate things, but actually tried to describe exactly the things as this person had experienced it. And, and uh, that's the the hard thing to, to grasp because out of context, it's completely nonsense. But when you're into this system, when you're kind of initiated into this, this uh, part of the world, then, then, then this uh, is rather... Uh, these aren't really symbols, but they are more actual events that happens. So, so but before the thing is, if you, I think it's illumination number eight was the describes the starting point for me when I really realized this uh, language of alchemy, and uh, there is a, this image of a man with some reddish blob on his head coming up from a swamp and getting a, a red uh, piece of clothing from an angel and the red blob he has on his head that's uh, kind of really the thing I experienced in some aspect and that was uh, in during one ritual uh, and this was the before and after ritual I see it as and then I experienced this this uh, kind of out of body experience for just a few seconds when I was transported. My mind was transported into some other dimension, and I perceived myself as exactly this red, reddish, uh, half transparent uh, blob. Uh, like this is your mind in some aspect. And what happened in this uh, this uh, moment was this, this blob was kind of turned around 180 degrees and put back into my body again. And then I came back into myself. But I was in some how turned upside down my mind. And uh, this was a real physical implications because a few days after this I really was upside down I saw things upside down and was kind of quite lost for a while and I had it was really easy for me to stand on my head and, and do some gymnastic and stuff like that and I think this is the symbolism behind the tarot card the hanged man this experience which happens after you made yourself into a unit, you merge all your your subpersonalities into one. That's the first step, and then these kind of things happens. And and uh, after this turning upside down, uh, the psych- psychedelic patterns became a kind of like a user interface. I could program stuff inside myself and to some extent limited extent around myself too and um, I think this also is the 
There is this myth about Odin hanging upside down in the world tree, Yggdrasil, where in nine days, where he receives the, some powerful runes. And I think that this myth is related to this kind of mystical experience that you are turned upside down in your body and in some way, and then you get this language. You used some uh, modern computer terms, and I think that's interesting because I use those as well a lot, and uh, so do many of my psychedelic friends, and uh, because they're... Um, they fit so well how, when you try to explain these things. And I, I have this theory that a thousand years ago, they did not have computers. So when they were writing alchemical text or uh, similar things based on psychedelic experiences, they just they used what they had to describe the same kind of experiences. So maybe they used... Uh, alchemical lab and you cook and you boil and you burn away and you ferment and all these things but uh, if you would write an alchemical text today you would say you download you upgrade you remove the virus you enter the simulation <laughs> uh, exactly that, that's the that's my thoughts too that that uh, each time and each uh, culture has its own language for describing these things and and the the gold thing is is quite real in this uh, phase too. If you change this somewhere in this mosaic, uh, you you put in this alchemical colors. Especially you don't need black, but if you put in yellow, white, yellow, and uh, red, then uh, whatever process you're in, it's like a macro that uh, turns everything into gold, that it perfects this uh, process kind of thing. So you really see that everything just turns into gold when you do this. But this happens before you achieve the Philosopher's Stone. You don't need the stone to make this alchemical gold. But you need to make this alchemical gold in order first to make the stone. So, so that's uh, also something that I didn't realize from the beginning, that I really thought that I had already achieved the stone when I could make things into gold, uh, the spiritual things into gold. But you haven't made the stone at that stage. You need the gold to make the stone because the gold becomes one of the colors you need to for the process of making the stone. It's uh, almost like the... The, the chicken comes before the egg. Yeah, and that's something I that makes me suspect that I had pieces of this in me from this from before. Uh, but uh, it could also be that this is not a time-bound process that things go back and forth, like you know they do in psychedelics that that things can happen before they really happen and stuff like that. Really confusing concepts. Mm. Have you ever? Because I've had this recently, where you, we have these concepts that's being outside and being inside. You know, in a recent ceremony, I had this thing where I I forgot I was doing it outside, but I thought I was inside. 
and I realized that when you're outside, you are inside, or or you could also view it as there is neither outside or inside because we all live in the universe, you know. So, but human beings have created this thing about being inside, in inside the comfort of your home, but. The, the the comfort of your home is also outside your home. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's it's a trivial thing, but when I saw this in uh, this vision, it had quite big implications for how to even just to feel about existence. Yeah, and that that's uh, one of the things you realize from time to time, but it's really easy to to slide away from, and that is that. Uh, the world we're living is actually ourselves. And, and uh, when we look out at things, we see ourselves. And, and it's, uh, you can take it from a really scientific, physical reality that, that uh, the world we experience is an image in our brains. That's, that's the easy way to see it but uh, it's more complicated than that I think we really are the universe experience ourselves and, and uh, it's hard to live in that realization day out and day in but uh, during certain moments in this psychedelic experience we really manage to, to to see ourselves both from the inside and from the outside, and and that's uh, that's an amazing experience. And uh, my experience from that is that it feels really natural that you don't really realize what you're doing when you're doing it because it's so uh, like some everyday thing in that context. And also uh, this thing about you know if you which is a well-known phrase even for normal people is that you know like positive thinking everything becomes more positive which uh, but it is it works it's a very simple thing but because i know like many many years ago i for some reason was deeply into conspiracies and if you look at conspiracies uh, on, on on the internet a lot of those websites are from america and they always portray the conspirator people as devil worshippers and satanic. And I started reading, I was reading for hours and hours for weeks. And suddenly I started feeling scared and I felt I was living in a world that was run by satanic baby eating monsters. And uh, so I stopped and I thought, oh, is, this is all, there might be conspira- conspiracies, but come on. And, uh, so it does affect your outlook. So if you look at the world as a, a positive place, it does become more positive, I think. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's uh, you are your world, and and uh, of course there are conspiracies there, but they are on a the real conspiracies are on a completely other level. That's just people wanting to make money or or having an agenda for power and stuff like that. Uh, those uh, conspiracy freaks I think my personal theory about them that that's, goes falls back to this uh, multiple personality disorder that they kind of project their own uh, 
egos out on this world and see themselves parts of themselves they, they need to or ought to take care of in some way in in the world around them so they are basically chasing their own tail i think like this i made a painting about that this knight uh, going out chasing dragons and the dragon is chasing his his own tail so that's that's my five cents on that on the those people actually cool well um if if uh, listeners want to check out uh, your book and google translate it or maybe make a translation or if they want to look at your paintings where can they do that the easiest uh, place to find it is my site maxmagnusnorman.com Okay, I will also post that link in the program notes so people can click in case they have uh, hard time uh, spelling it. Uh, so that's easy. They can just click onto it. Um, do you like sell your paintings on there as well or posters or prints? Yeah, that's that's my living. Sell paintings uh, for for now being. I'm open for suggesting suggestions for work and stuff like that. So so, but right now that's what pays my bills. So yes. Well, thank you a lot for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, it was been a pleasure. Thanks. The link to the website is Max magnusnorman.com that's m-a-x m-a-g-n u-s n-o-r m-a-n dot com but uh, if that was hard to follow you can find the link in the program notes let's end this episode with a track by Lars Eriksson called If I Were King Today from the album Dictions and Contradictions Check out more of Lars music at soundcloud.com forward slash Lars, L-A-R-U-S. And at facebook.com forward slash Lars music. I will post all the links in the program notes on naturalbornalchemist.com as usual. And next week will be all about placebos, so stay tuned. Freedom is in the mind. If I were king today, I would stray away With money in my pockets, singing my song I would search for the land that once fell out of my hand A long time ago when I was a child I would ask people Do you know of this land? Or do you know of someone Who has reconquered it? Early mornings Or sunset evenings I think I see a glimpse of What I'm searching finished here This will all disappear Like a memory from a past life 
it will not be here Many people will say they've found the only way But they're not individuals, they are sheep And I don't search for fools, they can go to their own school I think I'll drink some coffee in the sun instead And they have not found truth Truth is nowhere to be found And it doesn't cost a dime, it's very cheap All you need is yourself And of course everything else Guild honest speaks the truth I hold To me it seems that death Is just a thing with your last breath And that life goes on and on and on and on If you're looking for answers, all you will get is doubt The only thing worthwhile is learning to love and forgive And I am king today, every day I'll stray away with money in my pockets singing my song 